Biology 233 AMP Study Guide for Lecture Exam 2. The mitochondria and the trillions of cells inside the body need oxygen to make sufficient quantities of ATP for energy requirements of the cells. O2 is not applicably stored in the body, so it must be obtained from the atmospheric air. Inhalation brings the air through the air passages to the lungs. Characteristics of the trachea and primary bronchi that conduct air in and out of the lungs. Attached to the base of the larynx is the trachea or windpipe, which is distinguished by successive C-shaped rings, 16 through 20, a high line cartilage within its walls that ensures the trachea always stays open or patent. They are open at the back so that food bolus traveling down the lumen of the esophagus does not get stuck by jamming against the cartilage. At the end of the trachea, where it splits into the left and right primary bronchi, is a highly touch-sensitive area called the carina. Indicated by the arrow of the illustration, in, if an object is aspirated into the windpipe, the carina is the last area that can stimulate a forceful cough to expel the object. The trachea splits into the left main bronchus and the right main bronchus, which brand, branch into smaller and smaller bronchial, or bronchi. Because the right main bronchus is wider and more vertical, most aspirated objects end up in the right lung. In most cases of pneumonia, lung infection starts in the right lung. All bronchi are distinguished by cartilage plates, not rings in their walls that keep the bronchi always open for the passages of air. Uh, they also have some smooth muscles in their walls. Remember that the trachea and bronchi are aligned with mucociliary escalators to remove debris and microorganisms from the respira respiratory tract. One, the goblet cell produce mucus that coats the passageways. Two, Microorganisms and debris get trapped in the mucus and are swept by the throat by the cilia. And three, the microbes in the mucus are swallowed as the microbes are killed in the stomach acid. Bronchioles are the passageways that connect to the air sacs slash alveoli. Bronchioles are the smaller, cartilage-free, but smooth muscles, dense passageways that begin in the end of the bronchi. The bronchioles are the last passageways before the air reaches the gas exchange tissues of the lungs, the alveoli. Air sacs. Numerous bands of smooth muscles are found in the walls of the bronchioles. Constriction in the smooth muscles will prevent air from passing into and out of the air sacs, a serious consequence of severe asthma. External respiration. Deoxygenation in carbon dioxide-rich blood is pumped to the lungs through the pulmonary circuit of the circulatory system. The respiratory system works with the pulmonary circulatory system to carry out external respiration, so-called because gases from the external environment atmosphere exit and enter the lungs during breathing. Deoxygenated blood is pumped out of the right ventricle to the heart and through the pulmonary trunk and pulmonary arteries to reach the pulmonary capillaries that surround the 350 million air sacs of the alveoli in each lung, where the gas exchange of external respiration takes place. Characteristics of the lung air sacs or alveoli Gas exchange between the atmosphere and our bodies across, occurs across the lining of the air sacs, called the respiratory membrane. The air sacs are arranged in grape-like clusters called alveoli, numbering about 350 million in each lung for a total of 700 million in air sacs. Gas exchange occurs at the respiratory membranes. Between the walls of the air sacs, the plasma membrane of the flat squamous cells, a thin strip of connective tissue and pulmonary capillaries, the flat squamous endothelial cells. The gases O2 slash oxygen and CO2 slash carbon dioxide travel down their concentration gradient because of their peritoneal pressures on either side of the respiratory membrane.
The partial pressure of O2 and CO2 drive the gases in and out of the circulatory system. The partial pressure of gases in an, is a reflection of the percentage of the gas in a gas mixture. When there is a difference in the partial pressure of gas between a tissue and the circulatory system, the gas goes down its concentration gradient from higher pressure to lower pressure. In the atmospheric air is coming into the lungs, the partial pressure of O2 or PO2 is 160. And in the blood coming into the lungs and the pulmonary capillaries, PO2 is 40 mmHg. So in the lungs, the O2 diffuses from the atmospheric air in the air sacs to the pulmonary capillaries called external respiration. In the blood coming into the lungs and the pulmonary capillaries, the partial pressure of CO2 or PCO2 is 45 mmHg and the PCO2 in the atmospheric air is 0.3. So the CO2 diffuses from the pulmonary capillaries to the atmospheric air expelled during exhalation. Surfactant producing type 2 cells are in the lining of the air sacs, allowing the air sacs to open during inhalation. Larger surfactant producing type 2 cells are found in every alveolus. They release a chemical called surfactant that coats the walls of the alveoli to prevent the wall from sticking closed when exhaling, ensuring the alveoli don't collapse, which would make it very difficult to take the next breath. Pulmonary surfactant production begins in the fetus at about 24 weeks of gestation. Breathing. Changing the volume dimensions and pressure in the pleural cavities. The visceral pleural covers the lungs and the peritoneal pleural is attached to the inner surface of the wall of the pleural cavity and to the superior surface of the diaphragm. Between these layers in the pleural fluid, which prevents friction which, while the layers slide along each other while breathing, but this fluid also has an adhesive quality so that the two membranes do not separate from each other while breathing. The air pressure in the fluid space between the two membranes, called intrapleural pressure, is always more negative than the atmospheric air pressure in the environment. To keep the visceral pleural adhered to the peritoneal pleural so that the walls of the pleural cavities expand, the air sacs in the lungs also will expand. Note that the peritoneal pleural is adhered to the epithelium and central tendon of the superior surface of the diaphragm. The diaphragm is the primary muscle, skeletal, of breathing. Contractions are triggered by the left and right pharynx nerve, which originate at the cervical spine cord segments C3 through C5. Inhaling increases the volume in the pleural cavities, which decreases the air pressure. Each lung in the pleural cavity, the pleural membrane consists of peritoneal pleural, lining the inner wall of the cavity and the visceral pleural covering the lungs. The lining produces pleural fluid, which is in the interpleural space. The pleural fluid prevents friction as the lung slides along the wall of the cavity, but also has an adhesive quality that helps the lungs stick to the wall when the chest activities expand. Cavities. The interpleural space is always at a lower air pressure than atmospheric air. The lower interpleural pressure helps keep the lung visceral pleural adhered to the peritoneal pleural uh, walls of the pleural cavity. Air enters and leaves the lungs during breathing because your volume pressure law. When the volume in a space increases, the air pressure in the space decreases. When the diaphragm contracts, it goes from a dome shape to a flat, increasing the size volume of the pleural cavities. Remember that the wall of the cavity is lined with peritoneal pleural. Because the pleural fluid keeps the visceral pleural of the lungs adhered to the peritoneal pleural and the interpleural air pressure is less than the atmospheric air pressure, the lungs will simultaneously expand. When the lungs expand, the volume of the air sac expands. As the volume in the air sac increases, the pressure in the sacs decrease. Atmospheric air at a greater pressure will rush into the air sacs, 
Oxygen in the atmospheric air then travels down its concentration gradient into pulmonary capillaries when it binds to the hemoglobin and the red blood cells for transport to tissues throughout the body. Carbon dioxide diffuses into the air sacs. Exhaling decreases the volume in the pleural cavities, will increase the air pressure in the air sacs. Due to air pressure in the lungs increasing over atmospheric air, pressure air will rush out. When the diaphragm relaxes, it goes from a flat back to a dome shape. In each air sac, recoiling bands of elastic fiber pushes the CO2-filled air out. Internal respiration. Gas exchange between the systemic capillaries and body tissues. In systemic capillaries, the partial pressure of O2, or PO2, is 100 mmHg in the surrounding tissues. It is less than 40, so O2 diffuses from the systemic capillaries into the tissues, called internal respiration. In the tissues, PCO2 is 45, and the PCO2 in the systemic capillaries is 40. So CO2 diffuses from the tissues into the systemic capillaries to be transported in the blood plasma to the lungs. Oxygen disassociates from the hemoglobin in the red blood cells. O2 disassociates from the hemoglobin and diffuses down its concentration gradient. Partial pressure from the systemic capillaries, where aerobic respiration can produce 15 times more ATP when the O2 is not available. Normal factors of O2 hemoglobin disassociate. There are physiological factors that decrease the affinity attraction of O2 hemoglobin by changing the shape of the hemoglobin. Note that the prolonged period of rest, about 25% of oxygen disassociated from the hemoglobin to fill the needs of the surrounding tissue when red blood cells are flowing through the system. Factors that increase disassociation, O2, and HB include 1. Internal temperature. An increase in temperature, as occurs when one exercises or has a fever, causes O2 to be more quickly disassociated. A decrease in internal temperature can also, during hypothermia, inhibits the disassociation of O2 from hemoglobin. The lack of disassociation from O2 from HB during hypothermia is principal factor of confusion and disorientation of an eventually death that can result from the untreated hypothermia. 2a. Carbon dioxide levels in the blood. CO2 is a byproduct of cellular respiration. The use of O2 and glucose by the cell's mitochondria to produce energy ACP because this is happening in the trillions of cells in the body constantly, there is always a steady supply of CO2. An increase in CO2 levels is in the blood, as commonly occurred as one increases metabolic activity and exercises, increases O2 disassociation from hemoglobin. 2b. Blood acidity. Increased CO2 levels also result in an increase in blood acidity. And acidic blood promotes O2 disassociation from hemoglobin. The respiratory breathing center for regulation breathing in the brain stem. The neurons called chemoreceptors in the brain stem respiratory center, mostly in the medulla, which with more in the pons, will increase their signaling to the pharynx nerve in response to the increase in blood concentration of the carbon dioxide. A corresponding increase in acidity in the CSF, cerebrospinal fluid, is also a strong trigger. This speeds up breathing rate which speeds up elimination of CO2 through external respiration and the CO2 level lowers, the breathing weight will slow down. The digestive system. All the living cells of the body require nutrients that must be ingested and digested by the digestive system before these nutrients can be absorbed into the body through the walls of the small intestine and transferred to the circulatory and lymphatic systems. 
There are two types of digestion, mechanical and chemical digestion. One, the teeth and tongue accomplish mechanical digestion. Physically breaking down food occurs in the oral cavity. The teeth allow you to bite off pieces of food and grind it up. And the tongue, with numerous skeletal muscle fibers in various directions, help move the food around to get it under teeth to mix with food with saliva, forming a bolus. The tongue also moves the food bolus to the back of the throat for swallowing. And the taste buds in the tongue reinforce eating by activating the brain's reward center. And also can detect poisons and then spit it out. Uh, Some mechanical digestion also occurs in the stomach as gastric juices is swirled around. 2. Chemical digestion is the breakdown of nutrients into small sizes by digestion enzymes. Digestive enzymes act like chemical scissors and are specific for different nutrients in the key and lock mechanism. Chemical digestion begins with the enzyme amylase, released by the salivatory glands, the largest of which are the peritoneoid glands, under the skin in front of the ears. In saliva travels through a duct to reach the oral cavity, amylase breaks down ingested starch to smaller sugar molecules. Uh, the epiglottis prevents food from entering the windpipe. The epiglottis, a lid of the elastic cartilage in the throat, flaps down over the larynx while swallowing to ensure that food bolus enters the esophagus during swallowing. The moist bolus slides down the esophagus, uh, starting in a lower half and through the rest of the digestive tract, the walls of the tract have layers of smooth muscles that carry out involuntary wave-like contractions called peristalsis to move materials down to the intestines. The food bolus passes through the epiglottis to reach the stomach, the washing machine. The stomach is a sac with three layers of smooth muscles that mix up the bolus with gastric juices released by the stomach, chemically digested the nutrients into an acidified liquefied called chyme. There are two smooth muscle gateways called sphincters at the entrance and exit of the stomach. At the lower end of the esophagus is the lower esophageal sphincter. It's also called the cardiac sphincter. It releases to the bolus and can pass into the stomach but otherwise is closed to prevent stomach acid from passing into the esophagus and burning its lining. 2. The pyloric sphincter. At the distal end of the stomach, stays closed except for the passage of acidic chyme into the duodenum of the small intestine. Gastric juice is produced by cells in the lining of the gastric pits. There are three types of cells associated with the pits in the stomach lining to know. 1. The mucose neck cells. Along with the surface epithelium, coat the stomach lining with acidic, resistant mucus. 2. Chief cells. Release the pepsinogen, the inactive form of the protein enzyme pepsin. Once activated by hydrochloride, pepsin starts the chemical digestion of proteins, cleaving them into shorter chains of amino acids. 3. Parietal cells. Release hydrochloric acid. Aids in chemical digestion by activating enzymes pepsin, dissolving mineral salts, and destroying almost all microbes that enter. The acid also is important in dissolving ingested salts like calcium salts without the acid. Electrolytes are not freed from the salt and able to be absorbed in the small intestine. The final acidified liquid, called chyme, is released into the duodenum of the small intestine when the pyloric sphincter relaxes. Peritoneal cells also release vitamin B, varying in strict factors. In strict factors is an acid-resistant molecule that binds to vitamin B12 and transports it like a ferry to the small intestine where it is absorbed by the enterocytes. Vitamin B12 is necessary for enteropoiesis and health of the CNS. The small intestine 
starts with the duodenum. The duodenum is the first stretch of the small intestine, and this section exposed to the acidic chyme when it passes through the pyloric sphincter. To neutralize the acid in the chyme entering from the stomach, the duodenum has numerous bicarbonate-producing glands in its walls, and the pancreatic juice coming in from the pancreas also has an acid-neutralizing bicarbonate. Bile, pancreatic juices, and intestinal juice drain into the duodenum. 1. Bile. Necessary for the emulsification of fat, part of the fat digestion is produced in the liver. 2. Bile is stored and then released from the gallbladder. 3. The pancreas releases pancreatic juices, which has acidic neutralizing bicarbonate. To neutralize the acidic acidity of the chyme coming from the stomach, the juice also is loaded with digestive enzymes, necessary to break down nutrients for absorption in the small intestine. 4. Bile and pancreatic juices are deposited in the duodenum and small intestine. The duodenum also has bicarbonate-producing glands, Brunner's glands. The intestinal juices contribute to neutralizing the acidic charm, chyme. The rest of the small intestine is specialized for absorption of nutrients. Most absorption of nutrients takes place in the jejunum and the ileum of the small intestine. Villi are the finger-like projectors sticking out from the folds in the wall of the small intestine. Microvilli are tiny extensions of the surface of the absorption cells called enterocytes. Because they give the surface of each villus a brush-like appearance, the surface of each villus is called a brush border. All nutrients pass through the absorptive cells called enterocytes and enter a villa where they are transported away from the blood capillaries of the lacteal. Ingested complex nutrients must be enzymatically broken down to simple molecules for absorption. Complex sugars, carbohydrates, must be broken down by enzymes, chemical digestion, to simple sugars like glucose. The glucose can be transported across the membrane of the absorption of enterocytes. Proteins and peptides must be broken down by the enzymes to simple amino acids. The amino acids then can be transported across the membrane of the absorbic enterocytes via co-transport with sodium. Glucose and amino acids are co-transported across the membrane to the microvilli along with Na+, water-soluble amino acids, and glucose, cannot pass through the lipid bilayer plasma membrane of the absorptive cells, enterocytes. They need protein co-transporters, called symports, to cross the membrane along the sodium ions that enter the absorptive cells. Note that all water-soluble nutrients require a transport mechanism to into the absorptive cells in the intestinal tract. Slits, called fenestrations, in the capillaries will allow the amino acids and glucose to pass into the bloodstream from the transport to the liver. Amino acids and glucose and all other materials that pass in the bloodstream are transported to the liver by portal vein. The water-soluble nutrients, glucose, amino acids, etc. are transferred from the absorptive cells, enterocytes, into an initial first set of fenestrated capillaries to the villus. The blood then carried by the hemopatic portal vein from the intestines to the liver where there is a second capillary bed with the sinusoidal capillaries. Capillaries with even bigger gaps in their walls that spread through the liver. Many of those nutrients are transported into hepatocytes in the liver. Once in the hepatocytes, glucose is converted to glycogen for storage. Amino acids are used to make plasma proteins like albumin, clotting proteins, and complement proteins, all of which need the large gaps in the sinusoidal capillaries to reach the bloodstream. Calcium absorption salt dissolves in the stomach acid and vitamin requirement for adequate calcium absorption. 1. Ingested calcium salts are dissolved by stomach acid, hydrochloric to free calcium plus 2. 
Vitamin D is a steroid hormone, promoting intestinal cells to manufacture calcium transporters so that calcium can be absorbed and then transferred to the bloodstream. Fat digestion and absorption. Ingested fat turns into globules. By the time the fat reaches the small intestine, the globules must broke down into tiny fat droplets before they can be transported into the intracytes. One, first, a fat globule is emulsified by the bile salts released from the gallbladder. Two, next, fat-specific enzymes from the pancreas, called lipase, break the globule down to fat droplets coated by the bile salts called micelles. Three, the fat droplets, micelles, reach the surface of the introcytes and the bile salt detached to the fat droplets can pass through the lipid bilayer of the plasma membrane of the introcytes. 4. Once inside the introcytes, the fat is coated by proteins called the fat by itself cannot travel through the water-based fluids. The complex called cliomicrons pass into the lymph-filled lacteal inside the villus. A lacteal is a dead-end lymphatic capillary in the villus. The chylomicrons enter through its flaps and travel through a lymphatic vessel to the thoracic duct and are eventually emptied into the venous blood supply of the left subclavical vein. The colon. The large intestine or colon is shorter than the small intestine, but is wider in diameter. It is filled with helpful bacteria, common cella, that do not enter the body thanks to the pyrus patches. The appendix, presumed to store common cella bacteria, is attached to the start of the colon, called the cecum. The colon absorbs water and vitamins produced by the bacteria as the stool forms in its way to the rectum. The helpful common seal bacteria also are critical in preventing colonization of infections by pathogens. Defecation, a bowel movement, requires smooth muscles and skeletal muscles. When the wall of the rectum is stretched by poop buildup, sensory fibers, one, Transmit signals into the CNS to initiate a bowel movement and defecation. 2. Decrease signaling and decrease acetylcholine release from the involuntary parasympathetic nervous system cause the circulatory band of smooth muscle and the internal anal sphincter to relax, opening this part of the chute. Decrease signaling. 3. Acetylcholine release again from the voluntary motor nerve. Somatic motor nerve or system controlled by the motor cortex of the brain causes the circulatory band of the skeletal muscles of the external anal sphincter to relax. This causes the last portion of the chute to open when you are ready to poop.